Well, skeptics claim the Bible is just a collection of books written by man. If it's just man-made, then does it really have any authority over anybody living in the 21st century? To answer that question, we're going on an adventure through the Bible and every step of the way you are going to realize you can't make this stuff up. You really can't make this stuff up. Welcome to the Creation Today Show. I'm your host, Eric Hoven. I'm excited to share with you a success story. See, our mission is to disciple the world one person at a time, and it's working. How do we know? Because there you are, you're watching right now, and you are going to love today's conversation. We asked our followers on social media, how many of you grew up in church? And a whopping 91% of our social media group said they did. Then we asked, how many of you have doubts about the Bible? 22% said you sometimes doubt, 4% said you always doubt, or a lot of the time doubt, the Bible. Well, I can't think of a better show for you to join me on as we host Mike DeVirgilio for this fantastic conversation. Jesus was just too popular to make up. So you don't make up a first century rock star Jesus. Because that's how popular he was. His teaching was counter to everything that the religious professionals taught. Welcome to the Creation Today Show, where we bring together interviews with experts and solid Bible teaching. Your host, Eric Hovind, affirms the ultimate authority of God's Word, the truth of creation, and why it matters to you. To my Creation Today partners, hey guys, thank you. We're getting you guys on here. Shane and Ruth and Rodney and uh, Jonathan and Gary and uh, Jill. Thank you guys and Gary. Uh, guys, thank you for hanging out with me. Uh, I really do enjoy this, having these conversations with you. By the way, social media, if, we'd love to see you over here on the partner side of the Creation Today show uh, so that we can reach more people together. Uh, if you love to get behind ministries that are effectively sharing the gospel, then come on over to creationtoday.org. Hey, I, I, uh, I need some participation right now as I introduce our amazing guest. Uh, let me know in the comments if you grew up Catholic. Uh, just put that in the comments. I grew up Catholic or I grew up in the Catholic Church. And I want to know, reason being is because our guest today grew up in the Catholic Church. And he's actually grateful because it prepared him to receive the truth of God's Word when it was presented to him from a Protestant perspective. He went to Arizona State University in 1980, excuse me, 1978. And at the invitation of what he says were a couple of Jesus freaks, he went to a Bible study to learn what the Bible had to say about Jesus. And that was the beginning of an incredible journey to know the truth and then be willing to make the truth known to the world. He has since written a lot of blogs, including two books, uh, and two books, and the books include uh, The Persuasive Christian Parent, God's Provision for Building and Enduring Faith in You and Your Children, and then the book we're discussing today, Uninvented, Why the Bible Cannot Be Made Up and the Evidence That Proves It. Ladies and gentlemen, please help me welcome Mike DeVirgilio. Mike, welcome to the Creation Today Show. Thanks for being here. Thanks, Eric. I really appreciate that. Kind, very kind words. I, uh, I have really enjoyed this. My mom really, really, she handed me your book a couple months ago. And as I flipped through it, and this is a new one, but every everything was underlined. I'm like, mom, <laughs> you pretty much underlined the whole book here. Like there was highlights everywhere, underlines everywhere. I like your this mother. Is good. <laughs> and it really, it really does a great job of explaining how the, the Bible can't be made up. So 
thank you for spending a lot of time and energy creating something that now for what, like like 12 bucks, 13 bucks, something like that. We can we can have all your knowledge on this. It truly is incredible. You, meant, you mentioned when your introduction about you just can't make this stuff up. I was going to initially call it that. And my publisher goes, eh, let's work. That would some. be a great thing. <laughs> I know, but well, I know. I like I'm just it, a writer. I don't do un uninvented words. It's definitely not invented. Yeah. Um, hey, for those of you who study theology, you're going to get a kick out of this. If I, if I'm right, do I have this right? You have, uh, you have somebody you're related to that's like that us apologists like think is like a, pretty high up there in apologetics and really smart. Is that right? I do. He's actually not a blood relative, but uh, he's uh, my um, my wife's stepsister's husband. I know it confuses me at first, too. Okay. She had two stepsisters, so they got divorced, and and then this one of the stepsisters married. One of them married J.P. Moreland. J.P. Moreland. Can you believe yeah. he's related to J.P.? got a big brain, That's... J.P. That is fantastic. Yeah, and he's well, a great I, guy. I, I, I'm, I, that's where I go. Okay. How can you not have a good book? If you got somebody like that to bounce ideas off of, like, did, yeah. did, did you bounce any ideas off of him or no? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, not a lot. I mean, he's uh, busy and lives on the other side of the country. I'm in Florida outside of Tampa and he lives in, uh, they live in, he and hope his wife live in uh, Yorba Linda. California. Yeah. Out there in California. But wow. we've got, you know, over the years when, you know, when, like before we got married, we, he was at our wedding and, and it was just great getting to, and then he became, which blew my mind. I got back into apologetics when, uh, in 2009, I think I tell that story in the book. And, um, I was blown away that JP Moreland was a superstar, you know, in apologetics. <laughs> yeah. I really, he gave me, uh, the first of his, uh, oh, scaling the secular city back in when it was printed, uh, the publisher sent me one. I didn't even, I haven't even read it until I got dove back into apologetics. I'm ashamed to say. So, so, so years later, you're like, oh, wow, look at you. Like, Plus the resources, apologetics resources that I, I saw there, and the internet was just starting to explode, you know. I was, I was blown away, and we have so much at our disposal today. It's just a, a wealth, you know, an embarrassment of riches, I think, as the saying goes. It, it really is, and, and I, I always say, if it wasn't for the internet, we were, all these ideas have been debunked years ago, and now the internet brings them back up, and we have to, we have to keep creating stuff like uninvented to say, no, 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 no. It, I call it's it not made up. Somebody, I read this in a blog comment somewhere uh, that the internet is the Gutenberg press of the 21st century, and it's so true because, you know, the Catholic Church thought they could, you know, Luther, no problem, get rid of him. Yeah, they started printing it out, getting it all over in, in you know, the, the the German and such. And, just, and that's the same thing happening now The the enemies of God and of, of civilization think they can, you know, shut us down. And it, it ain't happening. It, it really doesn't work. All right. Well, I want to jump into this because you you have multiple lines of evidence, multiple things you can go through. Give us a setup, though, for 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 why we're discussing this can't be made up. Give, give us kind of the setup for this talk that we're going to have today. Well, when I got back into apologetics in 2009, the reason was, was I had an, I've always, like the, the reason I wrote The Persuasive Christian Parent was because I'm, I've always taught my kids that Christianity is the truth. We believe it for one reason and one reason only. It doesn't make us feel better. In fact, it often makes you feel miserable, <laughs> is that it's the <laughs> truth. So 
I've always had an apologetic. I came to Christ. The Jesus Freaks were part of an organization called the Navigators and oh, yes. big on discipleship and evangelism. And, and I've, it's, it's always been part of me. But in 2009, I had this encounter because I've always, I always want to do this. And I was so bad at it. I was embarrassed. <laughs> I wish, we don't have time to tell you the example. But um, so that's when I, I uh, bought a little MP3 player, which I wish I could show you. I'm really proud of this. I still, still listen to podcasts <laughs> on this. I am proud of this. People mock me, but hey, what are you going to do? So I bought no, a car I'm... that had an auxiliary jack. I started, and then, you know, going to the internet, I was just downloading, downloading. And then I started reading everything. And one of the things in really writing The Persuasive Christian Parent was coming across this idea of this could not be invented. This could not be made up. And it's pretty common in apologetics literature, but most people aren't like us uh, <clears throat> who are into, quote, apologetics. Right. And 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 I... So I said, after I finished that, I go, I got to write about this. This is incredible. And I want, my goal has is, is been to have average Christians, you know, just lay Christians in the pew to, to have a confidence because your statistics there were interesting because I didn't, and none of us believe the Bible's made up fiction, et cetera. But in the back of our minds, yeah, could it be? It, is it true? Yeah. And it, it could it have actually been the, you know, that this really didn't happen. And, and I would disbelieve that with all my heart, but could it be? And so the, the writing of this book was so powerful for me personally, because I believe with every ounce of my being, it would have been impossible, literally. And so and, that's, so you accumulate the arguments. It's all over the place, you know, in the apologetic literature, but I, I was, by God's grace, able to put it together in one place. And to me, it's just like, wow. Yeah. <laughs> And it's, I, I've learned really to impossible. also read the Bible apologetically and with an eye to this. And and we'll get into the, some of this stuff later, but um, just going through the Gospel of John, which is just saying. Okay. Uh, for those of you uh, watching, you're going to want to get on Mike's uh, website. Uh, Mike, what uh, is it? It's just your name, right? I'm yeah, MikeDiVirgilio.com. Dot com. Yeah, exactly. You're going to want to check that out. Do you already have like an email list and stuff like that that people can sign up for? Um, I, well, you know, I, I'm, I have just finished another book, so I'm, I'm, I'm learning, you know, I, I'm a sales guy. I have to make a living, unfortunately, thank God. <laughs> but, um, so my, you know, on my avocation, which is writing and then learning how to, you know, in this modern world, how to, how to promote things and stuff. So I have my email address on my, um, website, but I want to get, I've been meaning to talk to my, my web gal to put in there so they could sign up for the, you know. And I do. I send out my blog posts. I, I post them every Monday and Thursday. There you yeah. go. So make sure you guys are getting on the website and checking that out. Uh, really, they can email me anytime. That, and that's that's. I love that. I love that. Somebody who's approachable. Um. Okay. Let's jump in here. I want to get into some substance of what makes you go, Eric. Guys, world. Hey, listen up. You can't make this up. What 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 are some lines of evidence that we should really hang on to or that that are really good? So I'm going to preface that, um, you know, the power of, well, the first three chapters are kind of the foundation. They're a little more tough sledding for, you know, somebody who's not into philosophy and whatever, but uh, you have to establish the foundation. Then when you look at the, the actual scripture itself, that, that alone gives you more confidence. So the first chapter is a short history of biblical criticism. And most like Christians don't even know there is such a thing as biblical criticism. 
So what happened um, as the Enlightenment gained, you know, credibility in the West, in the West, um, and this goes back to really the late with Spinoza, the late 1600s, starting to question: Was the Bible actually God's word? And then it kind of gained steam over the 1700s, and in the 18th century, you have the the um, the Germans came up with this idea of biblical criticism. It was a scholarly theological pursuit, and it was the foundation of it was Enlightenment assumptions, naturalistic assumptions. So there's no miracles, ergo, the miracles in the Bible can't be true. So we have to explain them some other way. They wanted to keep Jesus, but you know, we know we know people walk on water. Come on. <laughs> so so that so I call it question begging anti-supernatural bias. And if you understand this, it's very powerful. So to beg the question today, people say, oh, that begs the question. The, the modern meaning has come to mean raise the question, but it's actually a, a logical fallacy that means to assume the premise. So they assume there can't be miracles. They look and they read miracles. And they go, Psh, that didn't happen. Right. right. They don't look at the evidence, the textual evidence, the historical evidence, none of it. So that's what happened in biblical criticism. And that was powerful. And it took over Christianity in the West to create what we call liberal Christianity. And, um, you know, the, the mainline denominations just swallowed a hook, line, and sinker. And they basically, that's it. They're empty today. There's no Christianity. It's whatever. And uh, so that's important, this question-begging anti-supernatural bias, that nobody comes to Scripture objectively. And in the 19th century, you know, there was this science could tell us everything, and we could be objective. So the, the biblical critics wanted to do it scientifically, as if there were no presupposition. You, you come to Scripture with that. So that's um, very, very important to understand, right? The person who's the critic, they have their reasons, right? So they you, have presuppositions to being a critic, yes. Right, to, to saying, no, nah, that, that, that can't happen. And they'll tend to look at things more skeptically, just by nature, as opposed to, I, you know, I want to believe this is true. Why is it? So you just go with a whole different orientation. Um, and then the next two chapters are on uh, the idea of revelation. See, because that was completely rejected by naturalists. God could not reveal himself. Because at best, he was a deist, God, right? He was up there. He doesn't really impinge upon the reality he created, whatever, right? And so the idea of revelation became less and less credible to the intellectuals initially. And then, of course, it went down from the entire culture. So, so the idea of biblical revelation is huge. And then I talk about the idea of, of uh, inspiration, how God actually communicated his word through human beings, fallible human beings through their personalities and education and upbringing, all of it, to create something that's just so insanely amazing. In fact, in, in the uh, introduction to this Zoom calling, you said, uh, come on, you said um, for a for a stunning look at the Word of God. And my wife says I use that adjective way too much because God is stunning and everything about it, but the Word is stunning. I mean, you look at cre creation and it's like <laughs> creation today. Every morning, almost I say, thank you, God, for revealing yourself in creation. Yes. Blows my mind, right? But even more powerful is the, is the revelation of God in Scripture. I mean, it's literally... How many years? 1,500 years, 66 books, 40 authors. I mean, the three language, two language, the coherence is just stunning. 
you know, and you could look at it theologically. The message is just from Genesis one, three, the fall redemption to, I mean, it's just, it's perfect. So God was able to communicate exactly what he wanted, the way he wanted, because he's sovereign and almighty through a book, which doesn't surprise us because we're made in his image. We communicate yeah. via words and ideas and logic and stories, you know? So you're, that's the foundation. You're beating the drum that that we love to talk about when you get into, there is no neutrality. Everybody has a thought ahead of time. Nobody comes to this neutrally. And, and that's it. How many shows have we done on, you know, like we just did one on contradictions in the Bible. And if you want there to be contradictions, you will find them. And if you go, let me look for the harmony. Could it make sense? You'll go, actually, it could. These two passages that appear to be contradicting could actually make and sense. And the scholarly work on that now is just, it's everywhere. If you really, yes. if you really want to find, it's there, you know. You, you can, you can, uh, what's the word? You can support whatever you want to believe about this is really what it comes down to. You really, you can, you can find people, find arguments, find professors, find theologians that no matter what your view is, you can say, well, they support what I say. And then that'll back it up. And, and, and that's why I love when you get into revelation and this, and specifically inspiration, because so many people don't understand this. This is, let me put it this way. And you, I don't know if this is too strong for you, but if it wasn't inspired by God, then it really is just man-made. I mean, it, it, it really has to be right. inspired, inspired it's, word of God. It's either or. And like yeah. I say, if it isn't God's word, burn it. <laughs> Go live life without, you know, why would you? But liberal Christians in the 20th, 19th to 20th century, they wanted to keep Jesus. Well, I talk about the partial Jesus. Everybody wants a piece of Jesus is a phrase yes. I use. You know, and we'll talk about that. I mean, <clears throat> you know. <laughs> You can't have Jesus. He's it's the trilemma, right? Lord, lunatic, yes. or liar. And I mentioned uh, I recently finished John Gospel of John, and, and I talk about and I'm, I want to read this, but I don't know if we should. But the time wise timing. No, go, go um, for it. I, I got an hour, man. Let's go, baby. So, John five and six is so bizarre. <clears throat> the I, I say that Jesus is a conundrum. You know, he's just the things he says. So. Let me preface this, though. This is very important because you lay the foundation, you know, of, of the criticism, revelation, and inspiration, but you have to lay the foundation is the Jewish nature of Jesus' world. See, because for most, well, for all of biblical criticism until the 1970s, they ignored the Jewish nature of Jesus' world. They thought the Bible kind of slowly developed over hundreds of years in mainly pagan Christian environments. So they just, they had a need in the environment and they added these things. And, is, and and my if my thinking is right, it's some people would say they did this to try to control people. The, the whole reason that they wanted to control Or they could have done it because they had a real genuine desire to say, oh yeah, but Jesus, must, you know, it's, it's, it's difficult to believe that would happen. In fact, the more you know about the history of how the Bible was actually created and copied, you know, every scholar today knows that even the most skeptical non, you know, atheists will say, yeah, the, 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 uh, the manuscripts come from the first century. I mean, it's just, yeah, they are legit. They yeah, really are legit. Yeah you, yeah. you can get, you can get to 98 point, whatever, 9% uh, 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 confidence that what we read in our Bibles is what actually the authors wrote. Yeah. You know? and, so and they just couldn't so have guys... made it up over years and it couldn't have been made up. But the, the, the this Jewish foundation is huge because 
it's it would be easy to make up a pagan messiah which is a contradiction but to make up a jewish messiah would truly have been impossible like jesus oh, we talk about that well um there are certain expectations messianic expectations that started from the jews had forever really you know and it really gained steam after israel fell um in the 700 bc to the 500 to assyria and babylon and um after malachi stopped you know it was the last communication from the prophet and it was a period without any communication from god so they would the, the jews would look back at scripture and say this king is coming in the line of david and he's going to our oppressors and they had been oppressed since you know forever since the yes egyptians and and now it's the romans and he's going to come along and but jesus just didn't play the part you know and everything he said confused them um that's why he was a conundrum i mean he was just like he was don't what? and then and then he would say haven't you read don't you know it's almost like he's almost making fun of him i i think jesus had some sarcasm in him just oh big just time so oh yeah oh he was <laughs> He got it. <laughs> he would have been a writer for the Babylon Bee, okay? Oh, yeah. No, he, I, you know, yeah, God definitely has a sense of humor because he gave us one. You know, he created yeah, us. How funny is that? Um, and and so if you understand the Jewish nature of his world, messianic expectations, and then uh, by chapter five is that Jesus was just too popular to make up. And uh, so you don't make up a, a, a first century rock star Jesus. Because that's how popular he was. I compare him to the Beatles, you know, and you know, worldwide phenom, and and his fame spread throughout, you know, yeah, yeah. And and God had set that up so perfectly with the the spread of the Greek language and Hellenism and Rome, you know, and the relative peace and prosperity of the Roman world and Roman roads. So everything contributed to to when Jesus said something and healed somebody. It didn't just was with a few people. You look. You read, you know, I'm just reading, just finished the Gospels, and the crowds that followed him were suffocating. You know, it was that's just, how big it was. Yeah. And everybody, you know, let's say they all, Jews came from the diaspora. That's another thing. When when the Jews, Jewish Jerusalem fell and the northern kingdoms fell, the diaspora, the Jews went throughout the Middle East. And so they would all, the numbers are different, but but there could have been a million or more people that would come come to Jerusalem for the festivals, especially for Passover. And so they would experience Jesus. Well, in fact, uh, the um, on the road to Emmaus, the disciples, are you the only one who doesn't know, you know, what's happened in these <laughs> times, right? Everybody has water cooler talk all over the empire. So, you know, if something happens and, you know, we're going to just like, yeah, let's make this up. I mean, people were alive. That's why in the Gospels, there's names, you know, Simon of Cyrene, right? The, there are names in there. They actually named the people. Like, you you know who this guy is. Go ask him. Yeah. You know, we'll yeah. invite you. Because we're eyewitnesses. Yeah, we're, we're, so, so this is interesting. I haven't thought of it like this, but you're saying they, if it was invented, why would they invent a rock star Jesus instead of a Messiah that is that, that doesn't take out the Romans, instead of a, a zealot who is actually taking over the Romans? And I uh, like, the, the, oh, man, that, the man-made one would have looked very different than what Jesus looked like. How do you? One of the great movies of all time is called "Time" is called "The Princess Bride," and uh, <laughs> it truly is. We've seen it like I don't know hundreds of times. But um, uh, Vicini always says, "Inconceivable, right? How do you make up something you cannot conceive?" 
Wow. That's a question you put to any critic. That's true. How did they you, conceive? It's just psychological. They, they, like they, it's, it's not just, oh, you can't make this stuff up. It's like, no, no, no. Literally, they could not make this up. They could not conceive of this. And if you can't, literally, it's impossible for your brain to have any categories for something. How do you then just invent it? And so when you read Jesus saying, um, and I want to read this for the, so we get to the YouTube folks too, um, <clears throat> that, because I think this is huge. So reading John 5 and 6, and I, I wrote a blog post about the bizarre, you know, just how bizarre Jesus was. I mean, he was that, he confused everyone. I mean, literally everyone, his friends, his relatives, yep. you know, his family. His disciples, yep. Yeah, the, of course, the, the, the religious professionals, they're like. So when he says, and I use specifically the example in the book of um, uh, John 6, when he says, you know, eat my, eat my flesh, drink my blood. A Jew saying, drink my blood, knew that, that Moses said, you will be cut off from Israel. You just don't yes. drink blood. Okay. Yet, he, yet Jesus is saying, my, my my blood is real drink. What first century Jew makes that up? I dare you. That's true. Give me some, give me the odds. Yeah, you're, not, you're not. You're not. They go everything they religiously believe, and yet they're going to just go. Yeah, that sounds good. We'll put that in the Messiah's mouth. That's interesting. So everyone wants a piece of Jesus, right? So this is from <clears throat> Jesus' teaching chapter. <clears throat> Excuse me. So Giza Vermes is a respected Jewish historian, was. Um, and so uh, The Jewish Jesus is a book he wrote. And in it, I want to read this because if you take the Jesus of John 5 and 6, you do not say stuff like what I'm going to read to you, okay? So Vermes says, quote, No objective and enlightened student of the Gospels can help but be struck by the incomparable superiority of Jesus, unquote. He then quotes from another Jewish author, quote, In his ethical code, there is a sublimity, distinctiveness, and originality in form unparalleled in any other Hebrew ethical code. Neither is there any parallel to, remarkable, to the remarkable art of his parables, unquote. Then Vermees adds, quote, Second to none in profundity of insight and grandeur of character, he is in particular an unsurpassed master of the art of laying bare the inmost core of spiritual truth and of bringing every issue back to the essence of religion, the existential relationship of man and man and man and God, unquote. And then I say, there is a lot of fly food in those sentences made to smell like roses. The only way anyone can make such breathtakingly inane comments is by dealing with a partial Jesus, a Jesus who doesn't say things like, eat my flesh and drink my blood. To harbor such thoughts, a person would have to ignore a large portion of what Jesus actually said according to the Gospels. Yeah. You really would. How can you say, it's so stupid, he would, you would say those things. And then you read, they probably think, well, the Sermon on the Mount. Well, you, the Sermon on the Mount is very problematic too. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that you've oh, heard man. it said, I say to you. I mean, really, Jesus, you have the authority? Okay, hit, hit that one. I mean, I want to go into more of these. Hit that one before I have to let social media go because Which that's one? another one. The, the Sermon on the Mount. Like, you, you're right. You're, you're starting to go into that. Hit that real quick. Well, I well, mean, there are so many examples in the Sermon on the Mount that are not only um, religiously bizarre, but countercultural, you know, because like love your enemies. What? Right. 
who loves his enemies? That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Right. A typical Jew would think that. But that's supposed to be sublime, sublime and wonderful. And, you know, you could just go down through the list of the Sermon on the Mount and, you know, blessed are the meek. Well, you know, in a, in a culture where might makes right, being yes. meek and giving up your power to serve others is absurd. You just don't make it up, you know, culturally or religiously. So you can go from both angles because Sin Keller was real good on, you know, how he upended Jesus every, and the Bible does in general, every yeah. cultural expectation of the time. So how do you go in? And then there's this minor fact that Christianity, against all odds, transformed the entire world. Yes. And my point is that lies do not do that. Wow. It up stories don't. So um, Tom Holland wrote a book called um, Dominion. And he was a big fan of the ancient world. Then he realized, gosh, that was a brutal place. I'm, I don't think anything like those people. And and then he, he's not a Christian yet, but he's realizes, hey, everything we have in, that's good in our society today came from Christianity. That's incredible. Yeah. Or do we be, wow. or do we be pagans? <laughs> Killing and murdering each other. Well, truly, this idea of Jesus, the whole Bible is uninvented. And it, to, to, I've never looked at the Bible and read it the way, like when you, the, the way your book puts it, I've never, cause I've grown up in the church. I've grown up reading the Bible. Yes, it's true. It's true. I've never read it through that lens of, is this something that somebody would have made up? Would somebody have invented this? And you're right. No again, matter though, where you go in, in scripture. Right. The whole of the culture tells us it is. Right. The whole of the call, everything, of course it made, of course it made, of course it made. <laughs> and yeah. we have to over, we have to help those we are responsible for to overcome it and realize. So if you're out there and you've been told, oh, the Bible is just written by man. They made that up. And I've, I've heard these arguments straight to my face from atheists. That was written to control people. That's why they did it. They wanted to control people. And I'm like, but what, what man-made book tells you not to indulge in your own fleshly desires? You know? What, what book says, hey, practice, you know, monogamy? What, what, what book says, like you said, you know, love your enemies? It's like, if this was made up to control people, I think you would you would do it a lot different. There's This is not a made-up book to try to control mankind for religion. This actually, when you look at it right, you realize this frees mankind to love God and love others and to recognize their purpose in life. It's incredibly, incredibly freeing. I want, to, I want to go through some more of your lines of evidence, but before we do, I need to let social media go. Hey, Facebook, YouTube, uh, Rumble, Twitter, thank you guys uh, for hanging out with us. TikTok, thank you guys for hanging out with us for a few minutes. Uh, if you ever want to join us and kind of make a bigger difference uh, with our lives together, come on over to creationtoday.org, partner with us, and help us reach more people. I do want you to go to Mike's website. So we'll put it in the comments. It'll be in the comments right there. But uh, MikeDeVirgilio.com. And uh, you do got to make sure and spell it right. M-I-K-E dot D. No, not dot. E no oh, it's dot. not dot. Oh, I'm thinking, I'm, I'm getting your email. Email, right, right, right. D-V-I-R-G-I-L-I-O. Boy, Italian, right? <laughs> A bit. DiVirgilio dot com. Make sure you go check that out and enjoy his writings. Send him an email and say, when you get an email list, sign me up, okay? So that he can... He can do that whenever he gets that. And then uh, his book, Uninvented, I know we're hearing it on Creation Today. 
It's available at Amazon.com and probably a lot of different places are already carrying audiobook uh, on, too now. Yeah, I don't know. Now that's my favorite. If I would have known that, I would have done that instead of instead of reading because I love my audiobooks, man. Yeah. Double speed. Let's go, man. Let's get her done. <laughs> uh, that's incredible. Thank you, Mike, for taking time to do this. Uh, please, guys, go go to check out his website, get the book, and be encouraged. And then don't just let this sit with you. Use this. These are tools that have been developed for you to share your faith with other people. I mean, imagine just starting a simple conversation like, hey, I've heard people say that Jesus is made up, but do you think they'd really make up a Jesus that and then name one of these things and start a Jesus conversation with somebody? So I don't, I don't know where you're at in your walk, but man, God calls us to make disciples, to first of all, be a disciple and then make more disciples. So I just want to encourage you this week to share this truth with somebody you know or somebody you don't know. It might be as easy as sharing this video on your social media feed. So make sure and check his, uh, his website out, get his book and share this information with others. Uh, next week, what are we covering next week? It's gonna be a good, oh, um, uh, the, the, the genealogies of Genesis. Okay, guys, I'm actually, I'm nervous about this next show. I'm not gonna lie, I'm nervous. But Henry Smith is gonna walk us through some controversial information about the genealogies in Genesis and, Genesis and is it possible we miss something when we read those? Okay, so I'll save everything else. Very, very interesting. I'm not sure where I'm at yet, but you can join me next week live right here at noon as we go through the genealogies in Genesis. We can ask, uh, did we miss something? Are we are we missing anything? So uh, it, it's it's truly going to be interesting. All right, God bless you guys. I look forward to seeing you next week. We're going to keep going here with our Creation Today partners. If you want to join us, come on over to creationtoday.org.